Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow The Lines on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow Stephen Andres, who's filling in for Mo Noara. Follow Stephen at StephenAndres1. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Remember, before we get started, to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever The Lines releases a new sports betting video on any market, including the NFL, NBA, college basketball is back in the fold. And we'll touch on that in a brief moment. But if you're just listening to the audio version, Spotify, Apple, quick five-star review and leave a review as well. Not just the five stars always helps boost the podcast. Beat the closing number this year, Stephen, even though you've only been a part of it for one of our opening odds episodes in a given week, I think it was Week two, something like that, or actually two. I'll give you more credit. You've been a part of two <laughs> Monday episodes. We are 23 and 10 on the season with spreads and totals. How did your week nine go? About as well as your guys' season has been going. Good bounce back week for me. Um, seven and three all together between sides, totals, and teasers. I uh, would like to thank Bryce Young for his two pick sixes, which submarine the the other teaser I had, but overall, very solid week. Felt really good about the Bengals against the Bills. Um, the only, I think, bad beat potentially that we could describe it is the Dallas game against Philadelphia. Uh, I was with you guys on Dallas, and maybe we get a little bit more into that. But overall, you know, I felt like all of us as a staff really handicapped the week very well. Yeah, week nine for me, we'll get to Eagles, Cowboys in a minute or two but commanders we were on that that yep. cashed washington wins outright buffalo second half i took last night as well got that Solid. that one steam got steamed pretty quickly to six but either way every number bill's number second half wound up covering because of the stefan Diggs two-point conversion and then cowboys plus three i was very close to betting some live numbers in the second half i just couldn't pull the trigger one of them would have cashed, one of them wouldn't have cashed, so it's one of those, in hindsight, it is what it is. But let's discuss that game for a hot second, or two, or three, or ten million. However long it the takes e for you to feel better about it. <laughs> in fairness, I got a lot of my venting out last night. It was like the photo, the meme, where I think it's at an Astros game, where the guy is talking to his girlfriend or whoever it is, and she looks very disinterested while he is just spieling about something about the Houston Astros or something about sports. I probably went on like a 10 minute rant to my fiance about Eagles, Cowboys. And oh, man. She, understood, she understood 70% of it. Cause I kind of, not in a mean way. I dumbed it down to where I was explaining, okay, the ball got pushed back X amount of yards. They were X amount of yards away from the end zone. She doesn't watch a ton of sports. So I had to, you know, preface a bunch and, keep things simple, which is fair. I don't understand a lot of the things that she discusses, so she prefaces and dumps well, it down the beauty, for me. The beauty is you don't really have to go into too many details when you show the replay of Dak Prescott having I-95 wide lane to the, the corner of the end zone and then having his foot step out of bounds. Like Anybody of all knowledge levels when it comes to the NFL knows that was dumb. Maybe stay in bounds, and then that last drive with all the penalties wouldn't have mattered because you would have only needed a field goal to go to overtime. Like, man, I don't. Ugh. Yeah, that's that's true. So let's go into the lucky breaks that the Eagles got before we dive into the four games and some college basketball stuff on this edition to beat the closing numbers. So 
The Eagles recovered three, all three, of their own fumbles. Maybe if you want to say X team gets positive variance in the fumble department in the given game, you recover two of your three. Not all three, especially <laughs> on that last one. In would have been in plus territory for Dallas had they recovered it. It seemed like Parsons or someone on Dallas's defensive line had jumped on the ball initially and then the ball squirted out. Schoonmaker's touchdown is overturned, rightfully so, but he got held on the play. I know you said it's maybe easier to tell in slow-mo, but that's still a lucky break for the Eagles. It would yeah, have contact been... was made before the ball got there. Right. That's defensive holding for sure. And then the Cowboys' offensive lineman was also penalized. Three plays prior to that should be defensive holding on the Pollard touchdown. Cowboys obviously don't score on that possession. Two of their three final possessions inside the 10-yard line, you get six points. Just wild. You mentioned the two-point conversion that was initially called good. And then, of course, Prescott's foot on the replay is shown stepping out of bounds. Illegal hands to the face on the Eagles. The flag was thrown. This was on the drive previous to the final possession. Flag gets picked up. Ridiculous. It was clearly hands to the face. And then in the third quarter on the Eagles, one of the Eagles two touchdown drives, the flag is called on Stephon Gilmore on defensive pass interference when the ball was, I think it was Devonta Smith, clearly over his head or maybe A.J. Brown. I think it was A.J. Brown. Yet, despite all of that, the game comes down to five yards, and I don't know why Prescott didn't throw the ball into the end zone. Maybe he thought Lamb would pitch it back. Who knows? But despite all those lucky breaks that the Eagles got, it still comes down to the final five yards of the game. Cowboys were the better team. I don't know how you could come away from that game saying the Eagles are the clear-cut favor to, the, to win the NFC or that they were the better team in that game even. Just single game from a single game standpoint. I think Dallas still has a shot to win this division with everything coming up on the Eagles schedule following the bye. But what say you from your takeaways from the game? Listen, I was extremely high on the Eagles coming into the season for most of this run through the first five or six weeks of the season. And then handicapping this game going in, I saw a lot of the same things you and Mo did. I saw red flags and the game played out that way. And uh, the Eagles' pass defense in particular still has major issues. Dak Prescott threw for 374 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks. He, he was unbelievable. He was fantastic. He was 8.5 yards per attempt in this game. And it didn't matter that they only had 3.5 yards per carry. Like That's, that's part of trying to take advantage of their pass-funnel defense at this point. On the other side, all my concerns about the Eagles rushing attack going from world beaters last year, like all-time great rushing offense, better than the vast majority of NFL teams passing offenses last year, to now being outside the top 20 over the past month happened again. They only had 3.3 yards per carry in this game against Dallas. Now, credit a little bit where it's due with the Eagles passing offense being one of the three best in the league over the past five weeks or so. They've, they've really uh, taken a step forward there with just A.J. Brown being an offensive player of the year candidate. He's been a monster this year, so I almost give the receivers as much credit as I do Jalen Hurts in that department. But everything you said about bad calls going against Dallas's way, yards per play from a box score, box score perspective was very much 
in favor of Dallas, 5.8 to a below average 4.9 for the Eagles offense. Hurts' knee wasn't healthy, and that was evident from their but he, first possession. But I will say he he did enough when needed. He still scrambled and was able to get important uh, first downs when needed to run. So it, it it's certainly not 100%, it seems, but it's not hampering him to the point where he can't run at all. Like There was an early run in the second half just to yeah. catch the Cowboys, to, to, to plant the seed in their mind that he could still run for the rest of that second half after he went into the locker room early at the end of the first half. So... Uh, I'm with you. I think in the rematch in Dallas, I'd be very surprised if I'm not on Dallas again. And with the really difficult schedule the Eagles have coming up here, despite that fact that they are you know, two games up in the loss column now in the NFC East, I don't think this race is over. And once we get to the playoffs, I think the NFC is wide open. I really do. And I might be just shopping for a price at that point. So um, I, think, I think people have buried the 49ers for dead after three straight losses, but if they are healthy, and that's a big if, but if healthy at the end of the season, then you know it might be another year in a row we're actually getting a little bit of a discount on the 49ers going into the postseason, which I would welcome certainly as a better for sure. If we get San Francisco and Philly NFC Championship game rematch, you know which side I will absolutely be on. Oh, well, we're and, getting it before then because I believe they play week 13. Yeah. Yep, week 13 in Philadelphia. Yeah, so just touching on the Eagles' upcoming schedule after the bye, and that's bye week certainly comes at a great time for Philly with Hurts dealing with that knee injury. At Kansas City on Monday Night Football on the 20th, then Buffalo at home. We know Buffalo's defense got trucked by Joe Burrow and the Bengals passing attack on Sunday night, but still a difficult matchup against an explosive Bills Passing offense just, that left some bet points the on the over board. If it starts with a four, I'll just say that if, if yeah. they somehow hang a, a, a total with a four at the beginning of it, just bet the over and Eagles. I mean, Bills. to be fair though, not that I'm disputing your notion, but could have said the same thing last night in Bengals Bills and yeah, everything just, that, that was rough. That was rough. Yeah, everything that could have gone wrong for the total went wrong. So we'll see. Then San Francisco, as you mentioned. On the 3rd of December, then at Dallas, at Seattle, no matter how maybe lucky the Seahawks have gotten in their own respect with the schedule, pretty weak schedule. We saw that come into play yesterday on Sunday as we're recording this on Monday, November 6th in Baltimore. Seahawks clearly not up to snuff against the elites of the NFL, despite having a 5-2 and two record going into that game, destroyed and then some. Geno Smith looking like the Jets version of Geno Smith, and then the Giants. So that is a four-game stretch that is going to decide playoff seeding in the NFC or play a big role in deciding playoff positioning and the NFC East, to your point. I don't think it's over. Neither of us do. One more thing I want to mention, just bad officiating, which we kind of touched on with (laughs) Eagles-Cowboys. How about the Commanders game? How about Washington and New England? That was the worst roughing the passer call I've ever seen. Yeah, I've been I've been saying this on Twitter for like a year and a half, man. We have a we have a league full of billionaires who own these teams and they only care about hiring freelancers. You know, in, in our world, like Eli, like, you know, us at the lines, we put a lot of effort into the people that we bring on as freelancers. They're really good freelancers. 
but we have to teach him some stuff from, from time to time, right? Like, this is a billion-dollar league, and one of the most important positions that you could hire in your league is the officiating crews. And you're and they're, they're freelancers. They're not full-time positions. They don't have benefits. Like, they have other jobs that they do when they're done officiating a game. It's, it's wild to me that that's the case. And I, at this point, I'm almost even more upset with the the rules experts in the booth at the, you know, in these games, because, you know, the latest, latest example was Sunday night football where it took them about 60 seconds to pull a flag and call intentional grounding on Josh Allen for a, a grounding situation that I've never seen flag before. Like I've been watching football in the NFL all my life and not once have I ever seen intentional grounding called when there was just a mix-up, a miscommunication between the quarterback and the wide receiver, either the wide receiver ran the wrong route or the quarterback threw it to the wrong route, one or the other. But that's not grounding. That's just that's that's a miscommunication that I've never seen called as grounding. And I bet the Bengals. So I'm not biased here. Like I, I'm coming to you from just a fan perspective and with the experience and and Terry McCauley gets on the mic well let's go to Terry McCauley let's see what he thinks well guys you know that's always been called grounding you may not like it but it's always been called grounding I'm paraphrasing but he essentially said that that's that situation has always been called grounding whether you like it or not which is total BS like that is garbage like you can say now this year it's being emphasized as such but he didn't say it was being emphasized as such this year he was saying that in all his years, that's been called grounding, which is nonsense, Eli. So, like, I'm tired of the freelance officials. I'm tired of the rules experts and retired officials having their back in the booth and being afraid to criticize them when they do something wrong on the field. Like, it's it's enough already. Like, these guys in the booth add nothing to the broadcast if that's what they're gonna if that's the way they're going to approach it. Like, if they're gonna act like the brotherhood of umpires in in Major League Baseball. <laughs> then there's no point to having them or listening to them, and they're not making us smarter as fans watching the NFL. Yeah, I thought watching Joe West and Angel Hernandez was the worst it could get in officiating <laughs> in sports, but clearly not. Also, like, just and, going and, back to... And decide yeah. it's grounding faster. Like, they had the whole field goal unit out there ready to kick, and then they threw yeah. the flag. Like, Josh Allen's on the bench getting the tablet, getting a cup of water, Helmet already on the back, and he comes flying off the bench like what? Like you can read his lips. Lips, are you <laughs> effing kidding me? Like it yeah. took forever for them to call that grounding. Like it, it's enough already. Like figure it out. It's nonsense. Yeah, that was that was a terrible call. I'm trying to get my swear words out of my system before <laughs> I have kids. So trying not to swear as much. Could say something worse, but I'm not going to. I I do want to go back to the roughing the passer call in Patriots commanders because that easily could have played a role in the outcome in the batting from a batting standpoint or not because New England gets a field goal on that possession also to your point the Bills inability to get a field goal on that possession then if Kincaid doesn't fumble or if they do get a field goal to end the half Kincaid doesn't fumble on one of their final possessions in the second half I think third to last possession then Maybe you cover, maybe you win the game. Who knows? I was impressed with Henry, by the way, the rookie defensive end from Clemson. 
was brought in, drafted because of his pass rushing prowess and heck of a move. I, what else are you supposed to do in that given situation? How else are you supposed to sack Mac Jones? If you want to, I guess they called body weight on him. Is that why they called it? Right. But there was truly no, yeah, it's not, there was no other way for him to sack him. Yeah. It's, it's nonsense. It, it doesn't make any sense. If you want to change the game of football, which they yeah. are essentially doing by the rule book, fine. But within the rules, I mean, it's not like he's there. That's what it's the same thing as like, what is a catch? What is the definition of body weight on a quarterback? It's a very blurry line. So I could not believe that was called even Patriots fans. I know a commander's reporter and this is. This is also like the gray area. Like, who cares? Essentially, I'm sure a listener or viewer will say this, but a commander's beat reporter was tweeting out that on his plane ride back, even Patriots fans were saying that was a terrible call. What are you what are you calling? That's a sack in nine and a half situations out of ten. Nine point nine situations out of ten. Brutal. Luckily for us, it didn't play a role in the commander's Patriots outcome. As Washington won the game outright, now just what a half game back or so in the wild card race. So on to the four games we're going to discuss. We got everything. We cleared our our palette with our grievances and whatnot from Week Nine, and on to Week Ten. But before we do so, remember if you're planning on betting any NFL Week Ten action, first time users with BetMGM Sportsbook can use bonus code the lines. That's one word: the lines to get up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. Remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money, and terms and conditions apply as always. For more details, head over to thelines.com. We also have plenty of contests giving away Amazon gift cards for Week 10 over at play.thelines.com. They're all free, and you can check out our bets in real time in the Discord channel for NFL, for college basketball, the link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. For me, for anybody curious, I have my futures guide up for college basketball on thelines.com. My power ratings are also up. Those will be updated on a week-to-week basis. Not going to be nearly as, or not going to be betting nearly as much on college basketball as I have in the past. As if you were in a Discord channel, or if you weren't, obviously life changes for a lot of people. You get things added onto your plate, and you can't. Focus as much on your power ratings that go into your bets as you used to. I say that as in the Royal U, and for me, that's the case. So we'll see what happens come conference play. But for the time being, futures, and I'll be available on our Discord channel answering questions and all that good stuff. And the link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner, as I mentioned, full of great and I say this in a positive way, college basketball degenerates. So be sure to check out the Discord for college basketball advice and conversation during games. I'll be in there from time to time. So should be a lot of fun this college basketball season. And I got my features, as I mentioned. The article is pinned on my Twitter account, at Eli Herskovich, X Twitter, whatever Elon Musk wants to call it these days. I don't know what to call this Thursday Night Football game, Stephen. Oh, boy. Speaking of terrible things like roughing the passer calls that shouldn't be called and uh, calls on Josh Allen where he clearly 
was throwing the ball in Gabe Davis's direction. There was just a miscommunication. Officiating, freelancers, that goes back to the economy, I guess. But Carolina at Chicago on Thursday Night Football. The Bears are up from a three and a half point favorite on the look ahead, or one and a half, I should say. Now up to three and a half, minus one ten both ways. Total of 40 and a half. That's because Justin Fields is expected to return after missing the last two and a half or so games with that thumb injury. Rest in peace to Chris Collinsworth's take on Sunday Night Football two weeks ago that Justin Fields needs to learn from Tyson Badgett during his time on the bench. But what say you for this disgusting handicap? Is it definitely Justin Fields? That's the first thing I want to ask you. Are we? Is it 100% going to be Justin Fields? That's the expectation. Okay. Um, if for whatever reason it's not, and it's badging again one more time, I am running to the book to try and get this three and a half on the Panthers because badging can never be three and a half against anybody. Just want to put that caveat out there first. I, I know, I know. I just Bryce Young has just been like the, the the change in play caller to the offensive coordinator has done nothing. This is a complete dumpster fire in Carolina. And oh, by the way, now they don't have many picks left to try and fix it because they put them all into Bryce Young. Like this is some if this is not a lesson that sometimes the the coaching staff you hire is more important than the quarterback you pick at number one. I don't I'm, I don't know what will be. Um, so that, I mean, that's in, in Reich's in Reich's defense, maybe he wanted Stroud. That's fair point. This might be owner meddling at, at this point. We don't know. We don't know. I'd be curious if we get more clarity on that because it certainly seemed like, I mean, we're getting reports that the owner is like having weekly meetings with everybody on the football staff. Like that's not normal. That's not normal <laughs> at all for an NFL team. So Except I think, if you're the Raiders. Yeah. I mean, Tepper's a new owner in the NFL. He's got his new toy and it's been a dumpster fire at this point. So they could have just kept Steve Wilkes would have been fine. So uh, if it is, if it is badgent, then I'm, I'm running to get three and a half, despite how bad Carolina has looked. Um, if it is Justin Fields it's a stay away from me, Eli, it's an ugly ass game. And I'm, I'm just not ever interested. This would be one of two teams where the bears would be favored by more than a field goal. The other being Arizona, if it's Clayton tuned and I'm, I'm just not interested in backing this level of football team to win by more than a field goal. I'm not interested in backing either of these teams to <laughs> either cover and keep the game within a field goal or win by yeah, I'm more find, than a like, field some goal. Some non-sports activity to do on Thursday night, finally, for the first time this season. It seems like a good week to like go and, I don't know, go for a jog or see a movie. or. How do you do that with two kids and a newborn? I, I can't. I'm just dreaming. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling <laughs> you that in a perfect world, Eli... This would be date night for me. This I, I maybe I'll go try and find a babysitter, take the misses out to a lovely dinner on Thursday night, because that seems a lot more entertaining than watching this garbage. <laughs> that's for damn. We sure. know that's not going to happen. It's hard to find a babysitter. That's that that is step one, and uh, you know, probably harder to find a babysitter than it is for this total to go over thirty nine and a half. That's for <laughs> sure. I love it. By the way, with Bryce Young yesterday, the Colts beat the Colts beat Carolina despite putting up 198 yards of offense. 
and teams with less than 200 yards of total offense were 1-36 and since December of 2021. The lone win of that record, or of that quote-unquote trend, came earlier this season. I'll give you one or two guesses, if you can, off the top of your head to guess which win that was. Oh, God, I don't know. Okay, not, that's fair. I wouldn't. Listen, my either. wife just got back from a four-day work trip uh, in, in California. My brain is mush right now, my friend. I, I've been why a single dad. <laughs> why don't you then go do something on Thursday night, and she'll take care of the kids? Seems logical. Sometimes wives don't think that way, Eli. You'll, you'll see. You're, you're engaged. <laughs> oh, I'm you there. You're not there yet. You'll, you'll there. see. You'll see. I was told I can't eat tuna earlier today, so <laughs> I, I'm already I'm already there. So the lone win came via the Washington Commanders against the Atlanta Falcons, and you had Atlanta in that one, and I had Washington. Oh yeah, Desmond Ritter is all I'm going to say. So it's similar <laughs> to Bryce Young because Ritter threw what three interceptions in the game and no pick sixes, but Bryce Young throwing two pick sixes yesterday. I want no part of. Carolina and Chicago. I'll just tweet about the Bears and hopefully them not covering the point spread. I'll be rooting for Carolina because after working in Chicago sports radio for a while, I hate Chicago sports fans, to put it lightly. <laughs> That's not how we grow the audience, Eli, by by pissing off the number three market in the country. Oh, I don't <laughs> I I don't I don't care. <laughs> let me let me tell you one thing. I don't care. All right, on to the second game we're gonna discuss. Browns at Ravens. You have a bet for this one. Total, another low one. A 38 and a half. The look at line for this game was around five and a half. So it's been bumped up a bit. Still not, I mean, kind of significant. Just two-point conversions go these days. First meeting between the two teams. We saw Baltimore outgain Cleveland by, what, 2.8 yards per play in week yeah, four. But, DT, but granted, DTR was the quarterback in that game. So right. Note that. Right. And three Browns turnovers, I believe one went all the way back to their own 10-yard line. So Baltimore had a first and goal or something very close to it in the first half. Deshaun Watson yesterday against the Cardinals looked better, but still ranked roughly league average across the board in a bunch of different passing metrics, success rate, EPA per drop back in that shutout victory over Arizona. The Browns defense, though, keep in mind, has allowed four of the seventh lowest defensive success rates. That's on the flip side. So the seven lowest offensive success rates, the Browns have allowed four of those this season. And the Ravens, on the flip side of that, are now number three in DVOA in terms of the number three team ever tracked by that metric through nine games. I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. I think I was ahead of the market. Yeah, absolutely. On this should. Ravens team. Yep. You're one of the Thank few you. who were, and you you deserve all the credit for that because a lot of us didn't see it with the Ravens. And despite a slow start to the season, you stuck with it and you were dead right about them. What am I going to do? Not stick with it? I don't know. I've been on the Ravens the last two years. So you've got to kind of ride the train or jump off and, and fall and and have a miserable, miserable experience after that. But I digress, Stephen. How are you betting this game? So I bet this first thing Monday morning uh, when it was still five and a half, that number didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Certainly understand that it, 
if you're, I certainly understand if, if you want to um, just take a beat and be careful about betting favorites of this size in divisional matchups, but just looking at the closing lines in recent weeks, the Ravens closed minus six against Seattle. They also played Detroit, another team that all of us here on the line staff has kind of in that same secondary tier, Cleveland, Seattle, uh, Detroit, all kind of in that same tier. Okay, was, the Ravens have played Seattle and Detroit and outscored them 75 to 9. So if just yesterday they closed minus 6 at home against Seattle, then minus 5.5 at home against Cleveland with what I think is a, a quarterback with a, a much lower, uh, more volatility than Jared Goff or Geno Smith and Deshaun Watson. Um, that that line just didn't make any sense to me. It either implies that the Browns should get a massive upgrade going back to Deshaun Watson, or that we shouldn't be upgrading the Ravens anymore based on another crazy impressive performance against Seattle. So I'm not sure what the right line in this game is, but I'm not sure it should be five and a half or six as crazy as that sounds. Um, you know, just looking at our power rankings this week across the line staff for those that have been able to get them in so far. Is that a almost, shot? Almost unanimously, we have the Ravens as the number three team in the NFL at this point. And, you know, Nate Weitzer has them at number two. So if that's the case, then they should be in that same tier with the Eagles and the 49ers and maybe just a tab below the Chiefs. And I'm not sure that those teams would only be five and a half or six against the Browns. Would you agree with that? It's a fair assertion, especially with Cleveland's offensive line injuries. Not only you're going to be without Conklin on the right side, he's been out from what? Since week one or around that juncture. And then no Dredrick Wills either, who has underperformed this year at left tackle. But he was placed on injured reserve earlier this morning, again on Monday. So it looks like it's going to be unless... Cleveland does something, brings in somebody off the streets. James Hudson III, who ranks below average and then some at his position in terms of left tackle grades this season. And mind you, too, Baltimore's blitz rate, roughly league average, but the pass rush efficiency is up since Away has returned, I think after week four, week five. And he's their best edge rusher, which you may say to that, statement that okay then Baltimore doesn't have great pass rushers but I mean he has a lot of potential I know you kind of shot him down before that Lions game and maybe you no, feel he's differently a young about player him. who has room to improve that's for sure yeah he has a really good pass rushing grade this season across a bunch of different analytics sites so I'm pretty high on this Ravens defense especially at the linebacker position offense needs to get sorted out still but Lamar's that, isn't in the that crazy though Eli like the, the offense still needs to be sorted out and they've beaten Seattle and Detroit by a combined score of 75 to 9. What is the ceiling on this team? And I say that with maybe a little bit of like devil's advocate, just because, like I said, I'm on Baltimore, Super Bowl futures, 25 to 1 going back to May. I'm high on this team from the get go and going back to the preseason even. But again, devil's advocate. Neither of those games came on the road. We haven't seen this team face an ultra negative game script yet. So it's kind of similar to Kansas City, right? 
And we can yeah, go back I to mean, the Chiefs game. Yeah. We, go, the going back, I guess you could say the Pittsburgh game was a bit of a negative game script with just how unlucky. Not really. They were. Yeah, I mean, they had to come back at the very end, but for the most part, it was not a. It was mostly neutral the entire time. Right. They but were like, up for a lot of that game too. Yeah, I guess. I guess my argument would be to the people who want to take the points with Cleveland. If you're that high on the Cleveland defense, then you should at least also acknowledge that the Ravens defense, when you filter out garbage time, is actually second in the NFL in EPA per play allowed, ahead of the Browns at number three, and almost identical in success rate allowed with the Browns defense as well. So if you are in love with the Browns defense, despite red flags with their offense and their quarterback, then you better give Baltimore's defense credit to at this point. The Ravens don't have an elite defensive line. If you go back to those elite Ravens defenses that had the likes of Terrell Suggs on it, they don't have an elite pass rusher. Broderick Washington, Michael Pierce, who's actually outperformed expectations. But outside of a way, like Clowney is kind of underperformed what I thought, even though he got signed off the street in August. Roquan Smith is an elite linebacker and Queens playing up to par two. And then in the secondary, still don't have Marcus Williams back yet. I mean, if you get, you kind of have the luxury at this point to get him healthy. Although I really hope Baltimore gets the one seed in the AFC. But still, with this schedule, they could probably rest him up. And you have depth there at safety with Geno Stone, who's played really well at that position, even going back to week two against a kind of an unhealthy, that's kind of an understatement too, Joe Burrow. At Cincinnati, but had that interception is really good instincts. Kyle Hamilton, one of the better safeties across the NFL in what, his second season, second or third season. And Brandon Stevens has held up really well at the other outside cornerback position with Marlon Humphrey getting healthier and healthier. All pro going back to the last three or four years when he's healthy. So, yeah, I'm bullish on this Ravens defense overall, to say the least. We'll see if the offense catches up, kind of like Kansas City and Chiefs. Got their fair share of breaks. I don't know if Tyree Kill actually caught that ball on the defensive touchdown to end the half. What was your quick opinion of that play? Uh, which play? Sorry. The Tyree Kill fumble turned defensive touchdown for Kansas City at the end of the first half of Kansas City and Miami. I was confused why they didn't call forward progress not being stopped. The first of all. Um, and yeah, I mean... Lucky break, right, for the Chiefs. The Chiefs' offense still has some work to do, that's for sure. So without that play, what happens in that game? Um, yeah, the, the Chiefs have very much been relying on their defense, and I don't think that they are some juggernaut like we've seen in past years. But with they are still clearly the team to beat, that's for sure. Uh, but I don't think the gap between them and the other teams in the AFC is as wide as it has been in recent years. So I, at this point, juncture taking health into account i would say that it's probably the ravens and the bengals who have the best shot to knock them off in the afc and those two teams actually happen to play each other next week and i can't wait to hear you and mo talk about it next week because bengals ravens on thursday night football in week 11 that's going to be awesome yeah curious to see what the line is for that game for sure san francisco at jacksonville another afc contender i know you have some futures on the jags 49ers, a three-point favorite. That lineup from the look ahead of two and a half. Total of 45. Two significant-ish pieces to discuss 
Additions on both sides. Chase Young added to the 49ers defensive line. San Francisco already with a seventh-rated pressure rate across the league. And then the Jags adding some reinforcements on their offensive line. Ezra Cleveland getting him in a trade from Minnesota ahead of the trade deadline. And Jacksonville entering, I believe, week nine had the second-worst pass block win rate. So that's significant out of this game with going up against one of the better defensive fronts in the NFL, although they struggle to generate pressure against a much healthier Joe Burrow back in week eight. That was their third straight loss heading into the bye. So both teams coming off the bye, able to implement their new pieces, although it didn't really matter for Minnesota yesterday against Atlanta. Josh Dobbs had zero practice reps, goes into the game cold, and not only covers, but wins outright. Pretty wild result. But how are you handicapping San Francisco and Jacksonville, Stephen? Simply put, really just kind of a buy low bet for me on the 49ers. Bet this at minus two and a half with minus 115 on the juice Monday morning. Um, We're up to three now, a flat three for the 49ers. So again, another reason why everybody listening should be in our Discord channel. Uh, just go to the lines.com top right corner, top right hand corner, hit the discord icon and you can get in there and see uh, when our entire staff is making their bets at any given point to try and get the best of the number. Uh, I didn't I didn't think for a second that had any chance of closing at two and a half. Um, and I think it's for two reasons. Number one, the 49ers losing streak three straight games here has been very much about health, in my opinion. They haven't had Debo Samuel. Trent Williams has been banged up. Their left tackle as well. Uh, When you take those guys away, Brock Purdy's going to get pressured. He wound up potentially playing half a game concussed in this stretch. Um, And despite a scoreboard that looks like a blowout against Cincinnati with a final score of 31-17, to The 49ers moved the ball in that game exceptionally well, even without Debo Samuel. The Niners had 8.2 yards per play in that game. And I certainly acknowledge the turnover-worthy plays are an issue with Brock Purdy being a young quarterback. But with all of their pieces assembled, I still rank this team as one of the two best in the NFL. And I think all their pieces will again be assembled this week coming off the bye week against Jacksonville. Now, you're right. I do have some futures that I put in on Jacksonville coming into the season. This isn't, but they were, they were bet before any games were played. And despite the fact that the Jaguars are six and two right now going into week number 10, I think that that record is um, a little inflated based on the schedule that they've played. They, Caught the one impressive win in this five game winning streak that Jags are on was against Buffalo in London with an unprecedented spot where they actually got to stay in London for an extra week and the Bills had to come over and they win that game. The other opponents they've won in that stretch Atlanta, Indianapolis, New Orleans, and Pittsburgh. Not exactly the elites of the NFL. So to me, I. I almost have the Jags ranked inside the top 10 of my power rankings this week by default, because it's really hard to find any other teams that are, that are worthy of the top 10 in the NFL. But I don't think that they are even in the second tier of NFL teams. The, you know, maybe the, um, the Detroit's and the, I don't know, Baltimore's Seattle's maybe Seattle, but I think to make this two and a half 
you really have to put the Niners back down a tier, and I don't buy that when they're fully healthy. Um, so this is kind of a buy low for me, and we'll see how it works out here. But um, I still think the Jags um, have some stuff to work out here on offense. I, I have not been impressed with their offense, and I think their defense, although greatly improved and impressive, is a bit a product of their schedule. And this is a a whole nother ball game when you're facing the 49ers offense. A couple of concerns for me with San Francisco, especially with this number up to the key number three, and I do want to get back to your bet in a second, but the 49ers, in order to negate, even with a healthier offense, if Williams and Debo are back this week, in order to negate some of those turnover-worthy throws, you have to run the football efficiently. And Jacksonville is allowing the lowest rushing success rate across the NFL. Also rank Jacksonville ranks top 15. So, or top 16. So above league average in opponents EPA per carry and success rate is obviously more of like a down and distance kind of thing, which you're not allowing a lot of explosive plays. If you're not allowing teams to get like 50% of the yards on first down and hundred percent on third and fourth down, that kind of thing. So if San Francisco can't run the ball efficiently, it's going to be an issue. And putting the ball in Purdy's hands and more turnover-worthy opportunities. And then on the flip side, I also wonder just big picture how much of a step back San Francisco's defense has taken with the loss of D'Amico Ryans going to Steve Wilkes. You mentioned Wilkes earlier when we were touching on the Carolina Panthers. And that's not me throwing this losing streak into a small sample size and trying to come up with a hot take in a vacuum because of it. The NFC is wide open, going back to the point that you brought up earlier on in the podcast. So I'm not saying that I'm downgrading San Francisco a ton off of these losses, but I think those are viable concerns. One in this game in particular, and then two big picture. So for me, just let's look specifically at these these losses that the 49ers have had. I can kind of shoot holes in, in all three of them. The first was a crazy wind game in Cleveland um, that they played over 10 times. They probably win it eight times with the way that the circumstances have played out with P.J. Walker turn it over and wind and a missed field goal because of the wind. Um, still didn't perform great, obviously, but all right, so... Next game, Minnesota had a play that probably should have been an interception. Instead, it was caught and taken 60 yards to the house. They also had a McCaffrey turnover um, inside the red zone and would have been a goal-to-go situation if he didn't fumble it. So probably should have won that game too. And then we also mentioned that they had more than eight yards per play against Cincinnati. So, you know, a lot of this it really is about Brock Purdy turning the ball over in those games. And perhaps that continues. He's a young quarterback. He's a seventh-round pick. He didn't have the pedigree. This is a system quarterback situation where he needs to just do what's asked of him. But it's a lot easier for him to do that when they're fully assembled offensively and healthy versus when they had to throw 12 targets to Jawan Jennings and Ray Ray McLeod combined. Um, it's just it's – it's different now. So 
Um, I hear your points, certainly understand the metrics, and I'm curious to see if I have this strong of opinion still towards the end of the week when I actually dig into the metrics. But for me, over the past few years, when the 49ers get in a game where they are favored by less than a field goal, I almost just take it automatically. So, um, But I will report back on the Megapod on Friday after I dig into the actual numbers and tell you whether or not I feel as confident then as I do right now. And looking at the current point spreads, pretty much it is all threes across the board. So yeah, I wouldn't stay bet away for you at this point. I would not bet three on the road with the Niners. Like it's, that's, it's a little rich for me. Um, it, it, we all, as we all know, three is the biggest is the most key number of all in the NFL. So it was really just getting below and getting a great number at two and a half. Um, I would probably just stay away at three at this point, but we'll see if there's any interest in the Jags in the middle of the week here to move this back to two and a half. Fourth and final game we're going to discuss before quick, very quick, rapid fire Monday Night Football discussion for those of you listening to this on or watching this on Monday. Texans at Bengals. Bengals a seven-point favorite across the board, total of 47.5, and that total has been bumped up from 45.5, so a lot of interest in the over. Kind of going back to the conversation we were having with Bengals' bills and all the points that were left on the board and that Sunday night football game. Joe Burrow has gone from negative .09 EPA per play in weeks one through six to plus 0.37 EPA per play the last two weeks. Going up against a Texans pass defense that is very vulnerable, as we saw yesterday, Baker Mayfield putting up 7.8 yards per attempt. Outside of Steven Nelson, corners are pretty susceptible, especially former Jags defensive back Shaq Griffin, who's taken a big step back over the last couple of years. And then Cincinnati on the flip side, you brought this up with the 49ers offensive efficiency going back to their week eight game. The Bengals allowing the sixth highest passing success rate across the NFL. Even though Awuzie looks healthier, if Kincaid doesn't fumble inside what? The 20-yard line, 25-yard line on Sunday night. Could have been looking a at a swing. very big swing. Huge, huge swing. Especially because Buffalo's defense adjusted going into the half. And now you're going up against C.J. Stroud, who put up a big number. So I'm not even... This could be a letdown spot for Cincinnati. I need to dig into the numbers that's an initial angle for me on the spread, but on the surface, the adjustment with the total makes a ton of sense. I, I completely agree on that. The, the defenses continue to struggle. Um, I mean, when you give up a, a 30 spot to the Tampa Bay and Baker Mayfield, that's something's fundamentally off with your defense for Houston. And, you know, I, the one, the one, concern I had with my Bengals bet on Sunday night against the Bills was the Bengals defense because they still, you know, they were healthy. They weren't banged up like Burrow was, and they were still giving up a ton of, of, of yardage and points. Um, and they feasted off the turnovers with Purdy. They give up eight yards per play against Cincinnati was uh, against the 49ers was, was rough. Um, so I thought Josh Allen would move the ball and he did. And they, you know, just had some variance go against them. But, um, yeah, I think ton of points in this one for sure. And my initial reaction was 
more than seven was too much based on the Cincinnati defense and the level of play we've seen from them. And sure enough, the market agreed with that, and we're back down to the key number of seven. So um, I would be surprised if we see seven and a half the rest of the week. Um, but if we do, then I'm probably teasing the Bengals down. Um, I'm not sure what you would like better, Eli. Would you would you prefer just taking Texans at seven and a half or better straight up? Or you know, and I'm not saying you're going to bet this or you know just just right now. If you had to pick, would you prefer taking Texans plus seven and a half or teasing the Bengals down? You already know my answer. Yeah, you hate teasers. <laughs> And I'm the situational spot. If the numbers dictate it, I need to dive more into this matchup. But it's a good spot for Houston, even after that all-out effort against Tampa Bay. And says more about the defense. Also says a lot about Stroud. And bouncing back after that pretty abysmal performance at Carolina, just considering the injuries that the Panthers have on that side of the ball. But if I had to bet the game right now, I would even take the seven. If I had to bet the game, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm betting it, but I, I thought yesterday was more of what we should expect from the Texans than what they did only scoring 13 points against Carolina. I thought that was a one-off. I, I have a lot of faith in this offense moving forward for the Texans. On to Monday night football quickly, Steven, Looking at the market right now, we're sitting at still a juiced three and a half on the Jets. The total has gone the other direction. I bet this earlier in the morning on Monday. And when you get a, an efficient market like the NFL, sometimes you're going to get the worst of the, the line movement, or in this case, the movement towards the total. And I got 39 and a half. I took the under. Minus 110, and it's up to 41. So don't feel great about it right now, but I still like my handicap of the total. We'll see what happens. I'll let you go first. Why did you bet the Jets at 3.5 minus 110, taking the points last week, late last week? I thought it was a bit of an overreaction to one of two things, maybe both. The the Jets' offensive line injuries, certainly a concern, but to go from one and a half all the way through the key number of three to three and a half, I thought was a bit aggressive. And I don't know if the market is adjusting the Chargers up off of what they did to the Bears last week, but I certainly would not. Don't give a damn what they did against Badgett. Um, I have massive respect for this Jets' defense. I think they might be the actual best defense in the NFL, at least when it comes to defending the pass. And that's because... And the run. Yeah, I mean, they're they're just really good. They're really good. They're yeah. one of the elite units in the NFL, and we know that Robert Salah has been amazing as a coordinator going back to his days in San Francisco. Um, this, this defense has the number one pressure rate in the NFL, despite blitzing at the number 31 rate in the league. That is a massive advantage each and every week defensively. And they're playing a Chargers offensive line that is below average in composite pass blocking rankings if you look across the grading systems that are out there. Justin Herbert also has not been a top 10 quarterback this year. If you go by PFF grades, he's been number 14. And I think part of that is because of what the offenses look like since they lost Mike Williams. Since losing Williams, they are 28th in success rate, 18th in drop back success rate if you filter out garbage time. So um, the real question here is, can Zach Wilson just, you know, 
not totally screw the pooch here for us offensively. And I think it's a good matchup for him to just be a game manager, do enough and keep this game close. The Jets um, are pretty good running the ball with Brees Hall. He's getting healthier and healthier since week five. They're top 10 in rush EPA that coincides with Brees getting healthy. And the Chargers are 19th in rushing success rate on the season. So uh, I just thought three and a half was too much here on the road for the Chargers. And I took it and I think it's going to be a low scoring game. And um, I may grab a little piece here because I disagree with this line movement up to 41. I'm not sure like what are what are the sharps seeing to move this all the way back to 41? I'm not sure, but I don't see it. I I think this is kind of a rock fight tonight. Well, my concerns with the total, I bet the under, like I said, but the concern for me would just be turnovers and sure, each opponent, each team having the ball in plus territory. Because with Zach Wilson and, like you said, Justin Herbert, the passing grades, even though he put up really solid effort against the over, Bears, but you don't bet an over banking on turnovers deep in their own territory, right? Of course, of course not. But it's it can certainly play a role in the final outcome of the game, yeah. and it could definitely go against my bet. That's just the caveat that I had. But to your point with Mike Williams being placed on injured reserve, also no Joshua Palmer dealing with that knee injury tonight. Yeah. So you're going into this one with Keenan Allen as your still bona fide number one receiver, one of the best number ones in the NFL, especially in this new look Chargers offense, just from a scheme standpoint and moving Allen all over the field with the new OC, former Cowboys offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. Chargers, though, in terms of their run game, you, I think, alluded to this. LA ranks 29th in the NFL in adjusted line yards at three, just over 3.6. And they're going up against the Jets' run defense. And defense overall, that's healthy coming off the bye. I think Amos is questionable, but on the right side of questionable, one of their safeties Jets are allowing the sixth lowest rushing success rate. And Brees Hall is running better and is healthier. And the Jets have seemingly run block pretty well this year. But no McGovern just placed on injured reserve. Still have a couple other key injuries on the offensive line. And Staley has actually kind of fixed this Chargers run defense, at least juxtaposed to the last couple of years. L.A. allowing the 10th fewest EPA per carry. Now, Sebastian Joseph Day, questionable with an illness along with Eric Kendricks and one other name on their, in their front seven, Kenneth Murray, one of their inside linebackers. So that's three considerable injuries, but hopefully I think two of the three are projected to play, although we'll see what happens closer to kickoff. But handicap is pretty clear to me when you look at two pretty stout run defenses. Then it boils down to Zach Wilson. The handicap is pretty evident there. With a sound-ish Charger secondary, especially when you factor in that the Jets offensive line is banged up. So when you consider and bank on getting pressure against Zach Wilson, and then you brought it up with that Chargers offensive line, and the Jets can certainly generate a pass rush, one of the better pressure rates across the NFL. I think top five, if not top three. So handicap for me is there on the under. We'll see if the turnovers get the over home, but I still like the under at 41. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do think Keenan Allen should get his. Uh, he's despite the injuries, he's still running the vast majority of his snaps in the slot. Um, and Sauce Gardner hasn't really followed receivers into the slot 
So he should be free of, of Sauce Gardner in this game for the most part. Um, so I think he probably get his, but I don't I don't see any many other matchup advantages here for the Chargers. To be quite honest with you, I think this is a pretty close game in the end, as long as we avoid the Zach Wilson implosion. So, knock on wood on that one. If the Jets cover, I think it correlates to the under. Just based on percent agree with that. I wouldn't I wouldn't talk anybody off of a, a Jets under parlay at all. Jets plus three and a half and an under parlay. I think they're highly correlated. With our luck, Chargers win, cover, and <laughs> total goes over. Right? <laughs> no, nah, man. Show's been good this year. We are way over 500. I like it. I hate parlays. We both hate parlays. So maybe just bet them individually. But yeah, I think... <laughs> I think and we're lose aligned both up. instead of one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, lose two units instead of one unit. Yeah, uh, no, I, but I, I, I don't. Know, I, I'm always hesitant of teams with great defenses and bad offenses because you know, um, our good friend Rich Ryan likes to say that all the all the rules are made for the offense. So you're kind of waiting for that team to implode when they have a bad offense. But um, yeah, I, I just if you're gonna poke holes in the Jets' offense, then you have to poke holes into the chargers and what they're trotting out there in this matchup, you know, it's, it's not jets offense versus chargers offense. It's offense versus defense on both sides. And because of that, I think the jets can, can keep this close and maybe even pull the upset. Yeah. One other thing too, with chargers offensively, Eckler really hasn't been that efficient. And I mentioned the chargers adjusted offensive line yards when it comes to rushing efficiency, but coming off of that ankle injury that I think he suffered against the Dolphins in week one, he really hasn't been the same. So that certainly plays a role in the handicap too, both ways for the spread and the total. But that's going to do it for this edition of Beat the Closing Number for Steven Andres. You can follow him on Twitter at, I always get it confused, Andres or Andres? It's Andres, but I like when you say Andres because it makes me feel exotic. <laughs> well, thank you for... Yeah, I've I've said it both ways. So you're not I'm gonna you, say you are not the first and you won't be the last to try and make me Latin American. So I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Any last words before we get out of here, Steven? Something? Um yeah, to the person who took at Steven Andrus uh on Twitter, I would I want it back. I some Russian bot took my original username and now I have to put a number one on the end of it. But other than that, best of luck everybody with your bets. It differentiates you from the rest of the pack. Sure. Thanks, Elon. <laughs> Steven Andres one on X Twitter, whatever Elon Musk wants to call it. I'm at Eli Herskovich. You can follow the lines on Twitter at the Lions US. And remember, if you're betting any NFL action across the board, use first time promo code the lines if you're a first time user with BetMGM Sportsbook to get up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If your first bet loses, remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money. And as always, Terms and conditions apply for more details. Head over to play.thelines.com. You can check out the Lions Discord channel to get our bets in real time. It's get notifications on your mobile device. I think it's only mobile. You can subscribe in the rules channel on Discord. Again, the link is over at thelines.com. Thanks for watching and listening to another edition of Beat the Closing Number. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.